for you to be really a long time away from him. You know, paramedics never work alone. And you work for a city, and the city's probably going to have some sort of affirmative action program, so you're going to be working with a woman, probably. You're going to be sitting in a cab, waiting for the next call, talking and, and sharing, and just think. I'm not saying it's a bad person. I'm not saying they're all fleshly out there. I'm not saying that this is a bad occupation. But I'm going to say, think about the things, the ramifications of jobs that are really interesting to you. Um, but be thinking about that with that idea that if you're known as as a child of God, if you're the light now, don't be muddying yourself with things that, that are unwise. Be thinking about these things. Be praying and begging God to make clear even who to marry, young men, young women. You know, if, if someone doesn't demonstrate a submission, if someone used to wear a head covering and now doesn't, and, and they may walk with God in, in some way and some things that they say and some things that they do and some of their conduct, are they submitted to God? And, and their conversations, are they submitted to God? I mean, evaluate these things because these things will show how mature they are in the Lord. And again, we'll talk about submission in just a minute, but it really is a sign of maturity. You know, whether a person uh, is going to be a, a welder, for example, or someone's going to be a computer technician, or someone's going to be a uh, whatever the job or occupation is, if their heart is for the Lord, that's what you're evaluating. Not how much money. I'm speaking to people who could care less, but there's a lot of people out there that evaluate who they're going to marry based on how much money they're going to make, what type of prestige they have, and all those things. Those aren't the important things because they, they're not going to last. The things that will last is their submission to the Lord, the beautiful relationship that they have with God. Use that to evaluate whether this is somebody that you want to connect with and be with for the rest of your life. You know, this whole idea that we're talking about this verse here, this is incredibly important to Paul as he's writing just this chapter, right? Just this chapter. This is the third time he says it in the chapter. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And then he says, and see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. And now he says, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Three times in this chapter alone, he's talking about how important it is to watch where you're going and make sure that you're following what you need to be following, the Lord. Moving on. 5.18, it says, do not be drunk with wine... Uh, in which, and King James would be aware in his excess, uh, New King James says it this way, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, i got to wonder, when I was reading through this thing, he's, he's ticking off godly things. He's, he's showing the difference between the world and he's showing the, the power it is to walk with God. He's showing all these powerful things. And then he says, hey, don't get drunk. <laughs> This doesn't make sense. I mean, we're talking, it sounds like he's talking to really mature Christians, but he says, don't get drunk. Can you even imagine the need to say that at this point? Yet at the time in question, you think about the time that they had right there. They didn't have access to computers. They probably didn't have access to worldly literature. They, it, they, uh, my understanding is that most people did uh, have ability to be able to read, but the things that were printed and copied out were scripture and things like that. And they were they only know how to read because the the church or the the tabernacle, the the Jewish system would ta have taught them. So there wasn't probably too much fleshly things to be able to read. I know that there were some. I, I've heard some archaeological digs that found some things that were inappropriate. But there are things that uh, 
that that were really unavailable to him. Even though Laodicea or, or Ephesus, these these were trade cities, and there probably would have people going through the Orient. The drugs that were available to the Orient probably would have been out of the price range of the people that Paul was writing to. So the one thing that kind of sums up all fleshly pursuits would be drunkenness. So when he says to these people, hey, don't get drunk with wine, we can translate that in our time as, hey, don't get bogged down in pornography. Don't get bogged down in, in following the, the latest trends. Don't be, don't be fooled about the, the waste of time that YouTube is. Don't be, don't be pulled into these things. He's not necessarily just talking about, about drunkenness, which is an excess. He's talking about just getting involved, the entertainment that we have available to us. You know, but I got to thinking about, well, let's just talk about alcohol for a moment. You know, alcohol, he puts these in two different things. He says, uh, but don't get drunk with wine, but follow the Spirit. They're almost like completely two opposite choices. And yet, if you think about it, if you go step by step, they sound so similar. You know, both start out with a small idea. A person just doesn't go to a cabinet and start drinking, doesn't go to a bar and start drinking. There's a little thought that says, you know, that sounds good. I'm going to do that. Someone doesn't just open the Bible and start saying, God, fill me. There's this, you know, I, I, I'm just not feeling it today. I really need the Lord. I need to spend some time with God. I need to open up the Bible. It starts with this little thought, right? It starts there. And then, uh, and then the thought to enter in, to actually go and do this. Now, that could be an invite from a friend. Hey, after work, let's go meet down at the Halsey Tavern. Or it could be, uh, hey... You know, this, this Sunday, there's going to be a, a special preacher. Why don't you come to the church? We're going to be praying on Wednesday night. Why don't you come? There's this, this invite from another friend. So you're doing it with somebody else, perhaps. Um, and, then, and then keeping on that parallel track, if you drink or you take drugs or anything like that, a lot of people do this because the cares of this world are so pressing upon them, they need a different perspective. The problem with drinking is when you, if you're one month behind in your rent and you get drunk just to get rid of that thought, now you're going to be two months behind. Right? It just kind of grows that problem. Meanwhile, if you have the cares of the world and you got this pressure on you, if you go to the Lord and you pray, He gives you a different perspective on your things. A real perspective. So there's still a parallel though. We're, we're going, we're, we got too much pressure and I've got to deal with it one way or another. We've still got this, these choices to make. Um, this astray thought could also bring, bring these issues. And that's a parallel issue too. We could have had a fiery dart from the enemy saying, engage in this behavior so you don't have to think about whatever it is pressing on you. Engage in this behavior because, you know, it's acceptable and it's nice and whatever and it'll give you pleasure or whatever, whatever, whatever. These fiery darts that are firing. We also get these other darts that are not fiery from the Holy Spirit. These, these spirit led things. You know, you need to go pray. You need to go pray for sister so and so. You need to go, uh, open up the Bible. I want to speak to you today and you get these little little thoughts but um, of course we cannot travel these two roads together much longer because there's a problem here one leads to growing the flesh and one leads to growing the spirit and God says if you go the flesh you're going to die and he says, if you grow the Spirit, then you're going to be pleasing God and you're going to grow in Him. And you're going to have these eternal things start happening that are far different than what the world wants. You know, whatever the drunkenness of this world is, uh, stop it. <laughs> what, you know what I'm talking about. When, it, when I say that, when I just went over this last verse with you, you, you know what's in your heart. When you lay upon your bed, do you consider sin or do you consider God? There's a proverb about that. When you, when you go to work and you're sharing with... Uh, uh, conversation with somebody and they start going into inappropriate jokes are 
Are you pulled to that? Well, stop it. <laughs> I mean, that's just the best way I can say. I, I, could, I could say, you know, you pay some guy $50 an hour to sit down and go work through your problems. Or I could just say, you know, you need to stop. You, need to say, you know in your heart what the Holy Spirit's telling you. Moving on, verse 19. Speaking to one another, or um, in King James, yourselves. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart. You know, this is, this is a side effect. This is a side effect of being filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're going to find yourself just singing songs about God, praising God. You're going to be finding yourself uh, just bubbling up inside your mind. There's these, these thoughts. It's not going to be worldly thoughts and, and, oh, what a really neat car. Or look at all those neat cars going past our house. Hint, hint. Um, <laughs> that happened recently, I guess, yesterday. Uh, you're not going to be, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then, then there's just going to be songs and joy bubbling up within you. That's a side effect. It's a happiness. The Psalms, uh, the, the Psalms and music written that honor God, talks about God, should be on our lips. You know, think about that lovesick teenager, right? Think about that. It, I, I've seen teenagers like write their first and la, uh, first name and the last name of their of their intended on a on a peachy. I've seen I've seen this talking about they they couldn't stop talking about them. This person does this, and did you see this? And 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 oh wow, this is just amazing. This because they're so filled with a love for that person and anticipation of being with them and anticipation of what marriage is going to look like and what their children are going to look like in the name of their children and on and on and on. But we should be like that with Jesus. If we're thinking about God is going to make me better tomorrow. God's going to take all this yuckiness that's happening today and He's going to use it to shape me and mold me to be more like Christ. God's using it. Then that's an excitement. If you get filled, you get all this bubbling up. You know, I dare say that if, if uh, there were songs written about the person that you're intending to be married to, you'd probably walk around and start singing those songs. You'd just find yourself singing those songs. But... But there are songs written about who we're going to be married to. There are songs written that are praise to God that we can be filled with. And so, you know, do that. And But don't miss the ending of this particular verse. All this bubbling forth is real and on, as onto the Lord. You know, what, what, fakery it is, uh, what fakery it is to sing about God and perform this verse in front of others, but not really have that love for the Lord as onto the Lord. You know, you, you sing some worldly song and then you, you see somebody walk by that you know is part of your fellowship and you, ah, I'm going to start praising songs now. Um, you, you can't do that. You can't do that. You need to, it, it's a bubbling forth. It's something you can't control. Verse 20. Giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, being filled with the Spirit from verse 18. If we can go back to that for just a minute. I got some thoughts here. We're still talking about, we're in the midst of talking about being filled with the Spirit. Paul chose the word, the particular word he chose for filled, uh, according to Strong's here. It says make, uh, to make replete, that is literally to cram. Like a fishnet crammed with fish. Uh, it means to level up like it's a hollow in the ground and you're pouring concrete to make it nice and flat and level. You know, we could talk to Brother Carl about about what he had to do in that, that kitchen to get it as nice as it is. There's there's a leveling, there's a there's a filling up of all those holes. Um, it means to uh to satisfy. It means to finish. It it uh, to verify, to accomplish, to complete. That means to fill up once again, to make full. Uh, and then, uh, not to be undone here, I also turn to, to Thayer, 
definitions of uh, Greek words, and he says this, to make full, I love this, listen to this sentence, to make full, to fill up, that is to fill to the full. I just love that sentence. It's just, it flows nicely. Uh, but to fill up, to make full, to make completely level, uh, to cause to abound, to supply liberally. I abound, I am liberally supplied. To render full, that is to complete, to fill up to the top so that nothing could be wanted for full measure. Fill to the brim, to make complete in every particular and rendering way. To carry through to the end, to accomplish, to carry out, to carry into effect, um, to, a, to a realized state uh, of matters of duty to perform, to execute, of saying promises, pro, uh, prophecies to bring to pass, ratify, accomplish, etc. You get the idea we're filling I've heard before that this word was used for filling of a, a, a wind sa- or a, a sailboat where the, the sails just kind of relax and all of a sudden the wind catches and it goes up. That's that filling, that pushing, that, that pushing of it. You know, part of this filling to the top, filling, to the, uh, filling in the low spots is giving thanks always. You know, if we give thanks to God even when we're miserable, we're in a low spot, that filling of that low spot is, okay, I'm going to choose to give thanks right now. I'm going to thank God for this. I'm going to thank God for that. I'm going to thank God even for the misery that I'm in right now, that it will render me more like Christ. That's that filling up of that that he's talking about. You know, it's easy. When I was writing this, it was easy to, to talk about that. It was easy about, I'm going to give thanks to God even when my leg is broke and, and I have a child that's in, in distress and I don't know what to do and pray for him. But during those hard times, it's a lot harder. And that's why we need Christ. That's why we need the Holy Spirit to be able to fill us and say, I, I just I just don't have the in me to thank you for what's going on with my, my daughter right now, my son right now. I just don't. God, come fill me. Fill me with your spirit. Fill that low spot of my life. This is the lowest I think I've felt ever. I need you, God. That's, that's an honest, honest prayer. Ephesians 5:21, Submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. You know, I found this uh, little tidbit here in an old commentary. The author, uh, Charles Edmund, was speaking of identifying the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And he had like seven steps. It was really, it was actually a very good read. Um, but he says, if you want to identify whether somebody is filled with the Spirit, these are some of the things to look for. Um, it says, in this phrase, too, uh, this phrase, speaking of submitting to one another in the fear of God, this phrase too often neglected. It names a test of spirituality which Christians too seldom apply. Many people feel that shouts of hallelujah and exulting songs and the utterance of praise is more, uh, is more or less unknown ta- tongues are all proofs of being filled with the Spirit. These are all, uh, these all may be superfluous and deceitful and without meaning. Submission to our fellow Christians, modesty of demeanor, humility, unwillingness to dispute, forbearance, gentleness. These are the unmistakable proofs of the Spirit's power. Such mutual submission to their fellow Christians should be rendered in the fear of the Lord. That is, in reverence to him who is recognized as the Lord and Master of all. I thought, wow, that is, I hadn't thought about that. You see a super powerful man who preaches the gospel, who, who walks in, in ways that I just, oh, I wish I had that type of devotion. But he's not connected to a fellowship. He's not, he's not willing to submit to other Christians. He is on a path that is blazing fire. 
but he's not willing to submit to anybody. Is that person truly spirit-filled? Now, he may move in the power of God. He may be moving the Spirit, may be doing some things. I mean, just look at uh, some people that we know. James Witt leaving the Baptist church over a doctrine or, or uh, uh, Denny Kinnison or, or uh, Mose coming out. Of the, and we, there, may be, there may be some moving of the Holy Spirit, but do those people ever submit? Do they ever submit to a fellowship? Luckily, I, I, I've seen Denny Kennison do that. And, and Moses, and like he submitted to some, some things. And so um, there is that, that maturity. And I found that to be the, one of the most fascinating things about this entire study for me. When we submit, there's a maturity. When we fight and fuss and we just, then not only are we darkening the witness that we have, that light that God is making out of our lives, but we're demonstrating that we're still immature in the Lord. So that's that's a that was a powerful thing to me. Uh, we are still filling to the brim, being made complete here by dying to self. Those things that separate us from others in His body dies as well. Remember what I said last week about a cell that decides to go its own way, uh, cancer or, or consumption, having enough of conforming to those around it, doing the same function day in day out, and starts to reproduce the way it wants to. It's called cancer, and and that's an immature cell, I guess. <laughs> if you're not willing to submit and do what God has called you to do in submission to God, you know. Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. You know, and, and I, I had a conversation with a brother and, and um, I think he and I just kind of disagree on some, on some things. I don't mean to be argumentative, but, I, but it really made me think because he, he demonstrated it in such a way. He was saying, submit one to another in the fear of the Lord. And then all these verses that, below that are how this works itself out. It's not so much Christians submitting to Christians. It's like we all need to have that submission going. And this is how it works out. Wives, you need to submit to your husbands. Children need to submit to your parents, and etc. And go down this list. I really kind of saw that submission to one another is the end of one thought, and now we're going on to another thought. That may or may not be the case. He may be right. But um, what I see here is that we're all called to submitting, and that, that's a beautiful thing in and of itself. And then we get into these, these other details. This is the same word here, by the way, uh, submitting, wives submitting to your husbands. This is the same word that's used for us to submit to the Lord. It's the same Greek word that was chosen. Uh, what should it look like? You know, the problem is that uh, that men make it so much harder for our wives. I mean, you know, the wives should submit to their husbands as unto the Lord. But if they spend all their time fighting uh, the, their own internal battles of forgiveness and um, and all the things that, that they have to work through, then then is that is that truly something that we're going to be doing as loving back to them? I. I. Uh, I kind of confessed up here last week. I made a comment that this is just, this is one of the hardest things for me to teach. I'm not a woman, uh, and and uh, I, quite frankly, I know my spiritual life and sometimes in my life and some decisions I've made were, were not onto God, and uh, just expect my wife to follow me and submit to me. And, and and so I made some comment up here last week that that this would be a particularly hard thing to preach through. And I was pulled pulled aside by by a woman in the congregation, and she told me that um, it's not a hard thing. It's it's a it's a freeing thing. It's a submitting thing, and I and I just really appreciate that. I, in contrast, I still struggle a little bit with this particular verse and how to share and how to teach it. Um, I thought, well, you know, do what everybody else does. I'll, I'll ask Google uh, to kind of help me. And, and um, 
And uh, wow, uh, <laughs> I was uh, really, I'm not going to say her name, although we all know who she is. And, and she's a powerful preacher. And I actually really appreciate some of her books. And I'm not going to say her name. But um, it was just really interesting. It was a two-minute interview. You should just look up. Uh, well, I would have to give you her name. And I'm not going to. But um, it's a two-minute interview. The last half of it, the guy just big smiles, looks at her, and he goes, so you're the boss. How, how, does your, how do you submit to your husband? He's just excited. I want, to, I want to hear the answer. And I was excited too. This is going to be interesting. And, and she, said, <laughs> she said with as much pride as I could possibly have seen, and I, maybe I'm judging her too much, but it just looked like she was so proud. She said, when I'm, when I'm the pastor, when I'm sitting behind the, or standing behind the pew, when I'm preaching, when I am, I am uh, and then she named her name uh, president and CEO of, and her name again, uh, of industries. The industry is named after her. Um, when, when, I, when I'm going to speaking engagements, and, I, and just on and on, this whole pedigree of how important she is, she, she says, that, that's one thing. That's how she ended that statement. That's one thing. But when I step down from the pulpit, I am Joe, then her last name, uh, Joe's wife. And, and, and he said, well, what, hap- what happens if there's decisions that have to be made that, that you guys don't agree on? And, well, we, we love each other and we agree with this, each other and, and, and we just work those things out and eventually we, we come to an agreement. But if a decision has to be made right away, I'll defer to him. She looks down for a minute, looks up and goes, and that's really hard. <laughs> and, I, and I could tell that there's, you know, she has so many people patting her back. We probably all have books on our shelves from her. She is, she is a, a power. There's a lot of power through her. It's got to be super hard for her to be able to, to comply to her husband. And, um, oh, God bless her. <laughs> uh, and God bless anybody who has to preach on this particular verse. I, I just say that there's, there is a blessing I could see a pride there that probably is something that God is hammering on her every single day. Deal with this. Deal with this. Deal with. This. Meanwhile, here's a a little woman that just whatever her husband feels like the Lord is calling him to do says yes, I'll do that. I'll do that. And 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 there's a peace there. And I've just just you know my wife, she's she's like submitted to so many things and my crazy ideas. Um, it just it's yeah. We'll go on because it's hard. <laughs> but it shouldn't be. It's a blessing. I'll just leave it that way. It's a blessing. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Wives submitting to your husbands and the Lord. Uh, make sure we're on the right page. Uh, okay, verse 30, 23, sorry. Verse five, uh, chapter 5, verse 23. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior in the body. It's an interesting connection is made here. It reveals something to us. The joys and hardships of marriage is born uh, from the union of two. The purpose and the power of a marriage again comes from two. Here Paul is not presenting to us an example of a unionless marriage, but rather the power and the purpose of two lives put together. And that's how it should, should look. What a sad thing to see. You know, we all know some people in our community where the wife lives way over there and the husband lives way over there or... Or they're just, you could tell in conversations with some, some married couples that they're really just not together. They're apart. There is a, there's a sadness there. There, there's just, there's a, God has called 
uh, two people together for a purpose. He could have he could have said, no, I don't want this marriage to happen. I want you to serve here. I want you to serve here. And there could have been a God given gift of singleness to these two people and they could they could move in power. But God didn't stop them. There was a marriage. And now that there is a, a union, there is a force that God uses and he uses all the, the little things that that each other. I mean, I'm constantly giving things to my wife for for uh, for her to be able to work on for me. <laughs> um, I'm constantly being something that that she uh, can improve her spiritual walk and, and trust and faith in God uh, as she deals with issues with me. Um, and that's how a marriage should be. We are representing in a marriage. We're representing this union we have with God. We can't be distant from Him. We can't be apart from Him. We can't be, uh, you know, unforgiving. And we can't be, you know, God is an amazing, is amazing. He's our example to us husbands, and, and far beyond what we can do. So, uh, this union that we have—that's what God chose. This togetherness—that's what God chose, and we need to be with the Lord and walking with the Lord and making sure as a couple that we're doing not just not just as individuals. Um, it's also interesting that he says this for the husband is the head of the wife and the Christ is the head of the church and he's the savior. He's not talking about a, a hermit. I mean, a lot of a lot of people would would claim that the the Stoics would believe that if we follow the Lord well enough, then it's good enough to go into some cave somewhere and be by ourselves and 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 just have that tight relationship with God. But what marriage is like that? What that's not a very healthy marriage. You have just a husband and wife living out somewhere in Alaska. Uh, and not not engaging in a church, not engaging with other people, not engaging with the lost, and not trying to trying to do what God's done. These are examples that He's given us, and it it's so good. Uh, as a church, we are promised to Jesus. What can we do for our intended? We can submit and make us one less image, one less uh, deal that He has to deal with. We can be submitted to Christ and have that joy and that peace. And doing what God has told us to do individually as well as couples. You know what an example it is of a bad marriage when a husband goes, does all that he can do, uh, and, and blesses and does everything he can do and just pours out his love to a thankless and ungrateful wife, who takes every gift and love offering and and blows it on selfish whims and pursuits. You know, a lot of times that's kind of how we treat our intended husband, right? Sometimes God pours out gifts in us and we just waste it on whatever. We waste it on worldly pursuits or fleshly pursuits. And, and God has given us an example of bad marriages around us to be able to show that don't be like that. Love your husband. Love, love your, your intended. Just be after him and be filled with the Holy Spirit and be singing songs, etc. Let's move on to verse 24. Therefore, as a church is subject to Christ, so let the wise be, uh, sub, uh, wise be to their own husbands in everything. What a responsibility. May, may us men be even one one hundredth of worthy as Christ is to be submitted to. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Husbands, to those of us males in this, in this congregation who are in a marriage contract with your wife, note that we are to be loving before we are loved, right? I mean, that's what we're talking about. Christ as an example. Did he not come to us when we were yet sinners? Even if we don't feel love coming back to us, love. We are called to love like Christ. We are to humbly lead. We are to consider our position not to hold on to. Christ came here to teach, 
but he also came to die. He didn't set up a kingdom on earth like the Pope did. Um, we need to serve. We need to teach. We need to die so that our wives may see the examples and follow. Being encouraged to follow Christ by our speech and our actions and our life. That is uh, who she is called to submit to. She's called to submit to a man who represents Christ. Who's dying and loving and caring for. Men, do you, do you see a need here to be in daily prayer for yourself? Lord, make me more like Christ. I, I want my wife to just have the blessings of following Christ. And I don't want her to have to deal with forgiving me every day. God, make me more like Christ. So Ephesians 5:26, That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. You know, that's our calling, gentlemen. We are, are, how are we doing obeying this command? You know that a bathtub can't wash anybody? You ever thought about that? Shower heads can't wash anybody. They really can't. You go to Goodwill and there's a beautiful, wonderful shower head sitting there on the counter or sitting there on the shelf. And you're, oh, I could, I could take that home. But it's not going to wash anybody sitting on that shelf, right? Have you ever been to Jerry's? Have you ever been to Home Depot or to Lowe's? And you walk in there and there's this beautiful tiled bathtub. And it's just the most beautiful faucets and it's just all cocked in there. And it looks just like, wow, that, that belongs in a, in a fancy home. There's one down, Jerry's down in uh, Eugene. It's all marble. It's a shower with a glass wall and it has a beautiful shower head in there. It ain't going to get anybody clean. Now, it looks good. Now, husbands, we look good sometimes. We can look really good. We can look like we lead out. We, we look like we're doing great with our children and, and look like we can do all this. But we're not going to get our wives clean if we're not connected to the true power. We could just be a display model. Far be it. Far be it from us, gentlemen. Be connected. Um, not only be connected, but be overflowing so that things that he flows into us, we can, we can flow out to her. Ephesians 5.27, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having a spot or wrinkle or any such, but that she should be holy and without blemish. Did you know that the Word of God could be wrinkle cream? Isn't that amazing? If we, if we pour into our lives the Word of God as He's pouring into us, then, then we, can, we can preserve her. <laughs> we can keep her fresh in the Lord. But we've got to be having that pour into us. The wife is before God as a whole person, not dependent on going through anyone, even her husband. She is held and accountable for her own decisions and actions. There is no mediator between her and God, save Christ Jesus, Paul tells us in Romans. But God holds us husbands in a unique role. As they submit and as they decide to follow Christ by following us, we help them follow Christ or we work against them. You know, what I mean is this, that's a little convoluted, that we help them, we make it easy for them to follow us and follow God. Or we get in the way, we can either spur them on towards love and good deeds or keep them frozen in their walk as each day she has to work on and through forgiveness, understanding and patience. You know, the word of, so, the word of God is so powerful to speak to us. God uses it to direct and shape his church. Husband's first role is to dig deep into the word getting a grasp on his teachings, and then be able to uh, use it to defend themselves and their family from wrong teachings and help them identify right teachings. It's one thing to tell your wife uh, that they are folding the towels wrong. Uh, it, it's another thing to say, you know, honey, you need to wear a veiling. 
And this is why. You know, you know, honey, we don't worry about your salvation because this is why. It's the faith. And this is how faith looks and, and a working out and, a, and going through John 8, uh, 7 and going through some of the, the powerful faith chapters in the Bible and, 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 and teaching your wife uh, that they don't need to worry about their salvation or they don't need to worry about this or they need to worry about this. And we're casting all our burdens on Christ because he cares for us. And we're going to the word of God and washing her and having her not be filled with anxieties and fears and such. That, that's a beautiful, but you know that whole towel folding thing? You're gonna lose that battle, gentlemen, because we don't have something to go to that's eternal and conclusive. Know the Word of God, and let the other battles be what they are. <laughs> you know? um, I'm actually referring to a, to, a, to a preaching that you probably never heard, but that was, the wife said that, um, that was the, she knew she was in trouble when they first got married because he unfolded all the towels and said, you're not doing it right. <laughs> Is there a right or wrong way to fold towels? But, but there's a submission issue there, I suppose. <laughs> so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies, or the, as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Are decisions being made in the home with the love of the wife kept in mind? Is it so easy to point? At, it's so easy to point to the verses and say that we're in charge and we're the head of the head of the wife and all that. Um, but can we really railroad decisions? This is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to do it. Is that what that verse means? What it means? How can you love your wife and make a decision that's going to affect her uh, without her input, without without uh, asking for her for advice or even uh, prayer? I'm not I'm not saying that she rules, but there has to be a, a, a oneness there, even in those decisions. Even if it's like this is clearly what we need to do. I don't feel that way, but I'm going to follow my husband. There's there's got to be a oneness there. And, and it's uh, done in a loving way. It's not, not, by the way, this is what we're going to do. For no one ever hates his own flesh, this is verse 29. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes just as the Lord does the church. And I got to thinking about that. Would you ever put your hand in fire on purpose? Would you ever take this large rock and just drop it on your foot on purpose? You know, I, I was at Winko one night and, and uh, there was teenagers and they thought it was a really fun thing. And so a teenager put his foot underneath the car and said, drive by, drive, drive, drive. And they did. You know, and I, I'm pretty sure an ambulance came before we got a chance to get out of the out of the uh, things. There's would, would anybody really purposely hurt their bodies? The answer is yes. Who are those people? They're sick. They're sick. If you're purposely hurting your wife, gentlemen, you're sick. She's part of your body, and you can't be doing that. But you know, there's some other people that would that would hurt their bodies. Maybe not. Purposely, Maybe they wouldn't drop a rock just to see what it feels like to hit their toes. Maybe they're not that sick. Maybe there's a different sickness in them. Leprosy. Or, you know, the man who stood up uh, as our best man in our wedding. He's my old sergeant down in Junction City. It's sad to see him walk. I mean, he was a very athletic man. But he, from, he can't feel from his knees down. Not because of leprosy, but because of diabetes. He, he has nerve damage to the point where he can't feel anything. Are you in a marriage that you can't feel that you're hurting your wife? You know, Jesus healed the lepers. And when he healed lepers, did you notice that he pronounced a healing over a leper and not everybody in the whole town was healed? It was the leper who came to him. Right? It was the one that came and said, I need to be healed. If you can't feel that you're hurting your wife, but it's been pointed out either by another brother or by even your wife, 
If you can't feel that that's going on, then you need to go to Jesus. You, you need to say, heal me, soften my heart. I want to see what I'm doing to my own body here. This is my body and I'm destroying it. I'm hurting it. And I don't even, I don't even notice it. I don't even see it. I didn't think what I said yesterday was hurtful. Lord, show me. Show me. You know, another side point here is it's really interesting in the days of Jesus' time when Paul was talking about this and, and, and we're thinking about lepers in the, in, the old, in the New Testament and Old, they would come through and they'd yell, unclean, unclean. And you'd see people with all this distorted problems and, and fingers missing and toes missing and people scooting across the floor because their legs are missing. And, and the natural reaction would be, I don't want any of that. I'm gone. You know, I don't want to touch that. I don't want... It was shocking when Jesus actually touched a leper. That was shocking. He touched on somebody that was unclean. He touched them. It's a natural reaction to pull back and get away from it. What are we doing today with Hollywood? What are we doing today with the celebrities and athletes that we're lifting up with, with the second or third marriages? With, with just gross things happening in their marriages and such disrespect for each other. We elect them to be presidents and then defend them because they happen to be Republicans. I, we, we look at these people and we say, well, yeah, their marriage is bad. But, and we are pulled to these leprous people who demonstrate how to hate their own body. How to treat their body with disrespect. How to abandon parts of their body and grab another part of a body. What, why are we lifting this up? We shouldn't be lifting up. This, these people need Jesus. We need to be praying for them. And if you're in a marriage that's numb, know that that, whether you want it or not, that's the example that you're showing. You are now the, turned into light. We're hearing in Ephesians chapter 5. God's using you as a light. And if there's a numbness in your marriage, then that's a serious thing. It's not something you can just say, well, you know, she needs to toughen up. She needs to, you know, whatever. Moving on. Um, verse 31. For this reason a man shall leave. Oh, I'm sorry. Verse 30. Ephesians 5.30 For we are members of His body and His flesh and His bones. What a gift God has given. We are not the subjects to be ruled over from afar. He has, we are His hands and His feet. He's, a, he's chosen to identify with us. What a gift. Don't, don't just go past that because it's on the way to 31. And it's, it's right after 29. Think about that. What a relationship God Himself has chosen to have with us. Ah, for time's sake, I'm moving on. Uh, 5.31 For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to, his, uh, joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Again, it's a mystery. It's a beauty. I went on to it last week. I talked about God creating all perfect, mighty God created the all perfect, all perfect human being. And then he saw a need. <laughs> that alone should be mind-blowing to you. He made the perfect being and said there's a need there's something lacking there the perfect being and so then he created you know my notes here i said that he created Kristen because she is she's the answer she's the perfect answer to my needs but he created eve out of adam he created something more than perfect by having a union two one being separated to two coming back to one and i went on and on about that last week but that's that's amazing to me that he's chosen that to be an example of us with Christ. Verse 32, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and his church. And he chose this relationship of separating and coming to be one again as a picture of his relationship with his body, his bride. Think about uh, why he came. You know, his people had separated themselves through sin. Uh, he came and died so he could be one with them. 
it's that example. He he made perfect. You know, I'll just go on and on about that because I think it's an amazing insight. Uh, verse 33. Nevertheless, let each of each one of you, in particular, so love his own wife as himself, and let the wife see that she reverence or respects in New King James her husband. See. I said earlier in this chapter, I said earlier in this chapter that that God has taken the sin of our life. He has taken the wickedness of our life. He has taken those days and those years spent wasted walking in darkness. He's taken all of that and he's turned it into light for a purpose. Listen, I don't know where you are in your marriage. I don't know where I am sometimes in my marriage uh, because I kind of am blind and stumble around and numb. Um, But God can take that darkness and he can make it in light. He can make it so that your family can be ministered to a family that, that doesn't know Christ yet. But you've got to go through the steps of submission, of loving, of growing, being mature. You've got to go through all these things so that God can take your marriage, which maybe at one point was darkness. Maybe it was, it was distant from one another. It was dysfunctional. It was perhaps leprous, perhaps uh, uh, diabetic. Uh, it was... But it was at one point not functioning correctly. Make the effort. Don't just say, well, that's just the way it is. Because God wants to take that darkness and he wants to make it in his example. He wants to make it a light to light up your path and the, the path of your children, certainly, but also to those all around you to be able to see it. So I, there is... There is more in Ephesians chapter 5 than I went into. There's more in Ephesians chapter 6. 5 can actually be a commentary to 4. If you look at it, it's almost verse for verse. There's several verses there that he explains it um, in a way. I, I just, once again, encourage you guys, just don't just do your quiet time to have your quiet time. This is all based off of, you know, what book should I read now? I'm going to start reading Ephesians. And I was just blown away. How many times have I read Ephesians? It, it is amazing. This book... The Bible is so amazing. It is it is powerful. And it can speak into where you need to hear right now. And, and it's, it's such a great way for God to be able to speak to us. It's like turning on a radio. You can, you can hear words. Well, the radio, the, not a radio. This is something that's spirit-led and spirit-guided and spirit-directed. And you can open it up. And, and I'm not advocating the, you know thing where you just turn the page and just, you know, get in context of what's written and study it and look at it and just... Um, it'll change your marriage. <laughs> it'll change your own personal life. It'll change your children. I do it. Lord, I thank you for your word. It is just amazing. It's more than an instruction manual. It, it is a love letter. It is a, com- a communication from God Almighty to our own personal hearts. Lord, you promised in your word that there will come a time when we don't need an instructor. Now, Lord, you've given us gifts of teaching. You've given us gifts of preaching, and I and I so appreciate that. But Lord, you uh, you've also given us the gift that you would possess us, you would infill us with your Holy Spirit, and you would share what these words mean to us. And I thank you, Lord, for that relationship. I pray, God, that you continue to do that in my life, in my family's life, over my wife's life, my children. And Lord, over this congregation that we're together, and, and indeed, Lord, your body, no matter what fellowship they may be in, that you can keep speaking out of your word. Help us to get out of the way, Lord, that we could hear clearly what you have to say. Lord, thank you for all the gifts you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for all the promises you've shared in Ephesians chapter 5 and beyond. Thank you, Lord, that, that you're allowing us the privilege of trying to walk like you 
and becoming imitators of you. And that, Lord, we would be filled with your spirit, that we would seek being filled with your spirit, that we would avoid all the worldliness and avoid all the dissipation and drunkenness of this world, and that we would be filled with things that last forever and ever and ever because of your love for us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the mystery of marriage. Thank you, Lord, for everything that you've, you've spelled out there and how uniquely that represents your body, your, your uh, love and your patience with mankind. Thank you, Lord, for the example of marriages. May they grow stronger. May every single marriage in this congregation, and marriages yet to be, grow stronger in the name of Jesus Christ for your sake, not for our pleasure's sake, not for our uh, just desire to have things go smoothly at home's sake, but for Christ's sake, for the advancement of your kingdom's sake. May our marriages grow stronger in you, more loving, more filled with your spirit, more understanding, less numb, less numb. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your time.